Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Hello, hello. Are you ready to twirl through the plot of Whirly Girly with us? Oh, after the two-parter combo that was the season four finale and the season five premiere, uh, it feels like this episode has a lot of work to do. Uh, it's setting up the stakes, both criminal and emotional, uh, for the actual half season ahead. I agreed. I think that's a good point. It's uh, I don't. I would say it does that pretty successfully for the most part. Oh yeah. I mean, it kicks off Allison's big lie. Uh, questions about whether A is truly out of commission and the discovery of Jessica's body. And then it also has just a lot of great character work about, you know, how the liars are reacting to Allison's return. Who is Allison going to be now that she's back? How her presence kind of increases the elements of unpredictability that surround the liars constantly. Uh, we have Arya suffering the emotional aftershocks of having murdered Shauna last week you know, struggling with her guilt and the sounds of the telltale violin. Uh, and then we also, we've got Kenneth, we've got Dark Jason, we've got Emily Fields coming in at an 11, uh, and Pepe the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yeah, Aria's reaction to Pepe got a genuine laugh from me. Spoiler <laughs> alert for the end of the episode. Um, yeah, this episode is like, after a couple of episodes that were just trying to like, ram so much plot in and so much explanation in this episode I feel like kind of lets everybody breathe a little bit and lets a lot of the emotions and the stakes kind of settle into place I also think that the script is really good for this episode I was struck with the fact that like there are some solid lines that I was writing down there are some genuinely heartbreaking moments there are some real like laugh out loud moments too and it's just um this episode feels a little bit more carefully constructed than the last few, which have felt like sort of a, a slapdash of information that they want to get to the audience. And there are some really fun character combinations happening here. The character combinations are a real bright spot. I mean, this, I agree, this is a much better episode than the previous two. If you consider this to be kind of like the third act of, of a three-parter, um, because it, it spends like the first... You know, the first 10 minutes of this are still kind of like clearing up some of uh, some of the previous episode stuff. Um, but it's it's much more successful, I think, in getting some new momentum going. Yeah. And I would even say that it's like even a lot of the camera work and and stuff feels more like stylistic and intentional. I think that the last couple of episodes, it's felt like there hasn't been as much intentionality because there's just this desire to like race through the, to the next thing. And here we're like, actually, there, this feels like it's being handled with care a little more. Well, I would say, for example, that Jason pounding on the window of the car and startling Hannah, that moment felt scarier than like Shauna threatening them with a gun on the stage. Like it, oh, it just sure. felt like it came out of nowhere and it was like, oh, it's going to, you know, it just felt. Uh, it, it felt different. I think you're right. I think the script is just more more carefully done and it's giving, you know, it's giving these moments time to really land. I agree. And I also had, I, I mean, we'll get into this as we get specifically into the plot, but ha I don't think I have rewatched this episode having, like, since I've 
since the series has ended and as particularly since the Charlotte reveal. Um, and I had such a different reaction to like all the Jason Kenneth stuff this time through um, and really found it totally fascinating and found myself like really having so much empathy for Jason in this episode, despite maybe, you know, the, his framing as like being bad or being villainous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Shall we dive right in? I, I think we shall. I can't wait. The liars are going to be back in Rosewood and they're going to get a chance to change their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yes. Uh, the bus pulls up to Rosewood and out walk the liars looking a little worse for wear in these outfits that they have been wearing. Maybe for days, maybe for weeks. We don't really know. Um, Allie is the last one off the bus and hesitates to get off. Even like <laughs> she even kind of ducks around like she might just run to the back of the bus. But Emily rather frantically pulls her back down. Um, Allison thinks that she should speak to her mom before the police. But Emily, trying to be tactful, says, Allie, your mom buried you. Uh, The liars think that they should go to the police station first and tell them everything, starting with the Jenna thing. Allison says that she can't do this. Emily, who is just going to be all over Allison this entire episode, says that she is not alone. Aria says that she can handle the whole accidental murdering part of the plot. Uh, and I'm, as we put out last week, still not entirely sure like what Allison has done that is so potentially illegal. Uh, but whatever, there's clearly questions. Um, we get a fabulous Abbey Road style shot of the liars walking across the darkened street. I, that's like one of my favorite shots of the whole series. Uh, And then inside the police station, Allison walks up to Detective Holbrook. There's kind of this heavy moment of realization as they recognize that they're finally face to face. Uh, He says or she says that she thinks he's been looking for her. He goes right in to ask about the night she disappeared. And Allison, with a tremulous voice, very quickly says that she was kidnapped and held hostage for two years and her friends saved her life. Oh, my goodness. This is really the best version of Allison. Oh, it sure is. Tears well up in her eyes and the liars are just kind of flat footed trying to act like the story is not completely new to them. The liars reactions to Allison's story in this episode are great. Like I just there's so much good reacting like face acting in this episode. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. This is really great. Uh, one of the things that I think is so interesting here is that a lot of this episode is going to be about the liars acting like there's a big deal about did they were they in Philadelphia or were they in New York? And that this is like an indication of guilt, whether you were in New York, whether you were in Philadelphia. And I have to say that regardless of what they thought the plan was to tell the police, I think that taking a bus back from a specific location is not a great way to sneak back into <laughs> town. Just like in my opinion. Yeah, it it is funny. It's almost like it's almost like the writers are like there was so much that happened in New York like in the last couple of episodes like with with Presley getting shot and Shauna and all of that that like being in New York has just become like a shorthand for all of those things. But it is really <laughs> funny that there's so much question, not just about the liars, but also Jason and Mona about like, were you in New York? Were you not in New York? Were you in Philadelphia? <laughs> were you not in Philadelphia? And it's it's like, it's the constant, uh, and, and Jessica too, like it's the constant tug of war there. Oh my goodness. Um, so fortunately 
for all of the liars, they all get to go sit in a conference room <laughs> and listen to Allison tell her tale. Uh, Detective Google Search is suspicious from the jump, uh, confronting her with the photo of her and the liars in Spencer's yard. Uh, Allie says that was the night that she escaped her captor, ripped off her blindfold, and ran into the woods. She asked her friends to protect her, afraid that if she went home or was out in the open, uh, her captor would get her back again. Uh, Holbrook asks about her previous statement that they rescued her in Philadelphia, but before she can come up with a new lie for that, her father walks in. Uh, Allie rushes into his arms and calls him Daddy. The other liars despite being about two feet away from a skeptical police detective, have a quick confab about why did, why did they never discuss this kidnapping cover story? Uh, and Emily and Aria wonder why it's only Kenneth De Laurentiis, no Jessica, here at the police station to be reunited with his daughter. The liar's just general vibe of, like, what the fuck is happening right now is so funny in this scene. Like, they're all just, like, kind of, like, they have, like, their hands over their mouths. Their eyes are going all over the place. Like, it's it's really, it's really funny. Like, it's simultaneously funny and, like, you're you're kind of in the position of the liars because you're like, what is Allison doing here? And I love when the show can kind of strike that, that ridiculous balance. Now, later, we're going to get uh, we're going to get a reason for why Allison decided to tell this story. But I'm going to say that even if no text message had come through on Allison's phone, there was really no way that Allison was going to walk into the police station and confess to throwing a firecracker at Jenna and the truth about every single thing that had happened from from that point until now. Do, Do you agree Oh, yeah. And I'm not even I mean, I, I, I'm i not even convinced by the explanation about the text later in the episode. I, I'm pretty sure that Allison had been working on this story for a while. And one of the things my memory of this time period is a little fuzzy. But one of the things that I think is true is we never get the full story of what exactly happened to Allison, because there's like that whole thing with like that Cyrus guy, mm-hmm. and then like the weird scar on Allison's leg and like. There's just, there's like the implication that a lot of things happened to Allison that we will never really know. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so Emily has been invited to stay over at the Hastings house because her mom can't get home due to the storms. Um, just the storms that exist somewhere. We don't really get a lot of details <laughs> on them. Uh but we can tell Veronica is very, very tense while Emily goes out to call Pam. Veronica yells at Spencer about not telling her where she was for days, question mark, <laughs> where Allison was, why they kept this secret. Uh, to which I say, I don't know, Veronica, where did Spencer learn about keeping important secrets from? Can't imagine. Uh, Veronica brings up the dead girl in the yard uh, who will later be identified as Bethany Young. But Spencer tearfully says that she knows she had nothing to do with that, even if Veronica doesn't believe her. Veronica clarifies that she's not accusing Spencer of anything but poor judgment, then explains that Melissa and Peter are getting Spencer's car from Philly. And uh, Veronica has this very, uh, very sort of soap opery line where she's like, oh, Melissa brought back fr- from from London was attitude and secrets. 
And there is kind of this implication that, like, now that Melissa and Peter are doing this weird secretive team up, Spencer might be Veronica's favorite daughter here. <laughs> yeah, the Hastings house continues to really be soapy dialogue central. And also the line about Spencer, like, where has Spencer been for days? It just killed me. Like, this is like an endless night in the middle of endless November. Like, it broke me in terms of trying to figure out how time is working. Like, I think Rosewood is just like in Westeros where winter can last 10 years. And like, hopefully Spencer gets to hook up with Yara Greyjoy. That's that's my only thought on that. I know that I have texted you this this gift before, but that gift from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where like, Charlie is like wide-eyed with the string on the board trying to fit everything <laughs> together. That's what I feel like trying to piece together the PLL timeline is. Oh my god, for sure, for sure. Um, meanwhile, Ashley and Hannah are having their own confrontation about Allison being alive and how could Hannah not share this important piece uh, of info. Al- Ashley wants to talk about Hannah's feelings. Uh, Hannah wants to talk about whether the cheese in the fridge is old and whether it will melt. Uh, This was a great line where Ashley kind of does pause in her questions to say, all cheese melts, Hannah, (laughs) which which I love. Um, Ashley, like from from the go, like Ashley already has a lot of sympathy for what she believes Mm -hmm. Allison must have endured. Uh, And Hannah is already a bit short-tempered about having to deal with Allison's latest lie. Uh, But they do come to a detente uh, as Ashley volunteers to make Hannah what I think is the grilled cheese uh, that she's been assembling these ingredients for. Yeah, it's it's really good Ashley back. And she's I I really like Ashley's like little arc in this episode and actually in this whole season, her whole kind of um, relationship with Allison, I think, is really interesting. I, I kind of feel like the the line about all cheese melts, like it could be it, it could be like a metaphor for like all secrets eventually come out, all all truth eventually is revealed. Um, but yeah, I love Ashley like prioritizing Hannah's feelings about a- Allison returning and prioritizing having uh, empathy for Allison's situation. It's such a a stark contrast with Veronica's reaction, and I do really like how this episode kind of sets up all of these little like family check-ins of like kind of how every family is reacting to this news uh it's it's yeah. a, it's a nice framing device for the episode oh i i definitely agree and we know that ashley saw herself in caleb when caleb was kind of this like teenager with nowhere to go and i feel like that's something that is going to happen with ashley and allison in this season is that ashley is going to see herself in a lot of what allison is dealing with Imagine if Ashley had, like, had a scene with Charlotte. Wouldn't that have been oh, so great? Oh, my goodness. It, oh, it really would have. Oh, she's, man. like, the adult that Charlotte, she's, like, the adult that Charlotte needs in her life. Um, so Aria, still in her wacky scarves, but now with her hair up, is on the phone trying to find out more information about Fitz when Mike walks in. Mike will spend most of this episode trying to gossip about Allison and everybody is shutting him down. I feel really bad for him. But I also feel like there's a low-key Mike might be a thread in this episode that's there if you're looking for it. Um, But anyway, Mike wants to hear about the wacky details about Allison. Uh, He genuinely just seems like he wants to talk, but Arya cuts him off. 
then he kind of asks about Fitz because obviously he can hear Arya shouting about her lover slash English teacher through the walls. Uh, Arya says he got hurt in New York, uh, then says that she saw him yesterday. And Mike is like, wait, in New York? But you were not in New York. You were in Philadelphia. And Arya's like, I mean, on the phone. Stop asking me questions. Which, like, <laughs> of course, Arya is the one who would, like, be incapable of keeping this story straight. Um, I, I like how quickly this situation is devolving. Uh, but Mike kind of leaves her alone. I feel kind of bad for Mike. Like, he's just trying to he's just trying to be there. And I also feel like if Arya said to Mike, like, Mike, I'm going to be real with you. I accidentally murdered somebody last night. Like, I feel like Mike would be there for her. I agree. I actually think that Mike would be one of the more reliable family members on this show. <laughs> like, I, he'd certainly be better than a Hastings, even though the Hastings are constantly, like, burying bodies and keeping secrets. Like, I feel like Mike would actually have useful skills to bring to bear. I agree. I agree. And, yes, Arya, this is a, a really good Lucy Hale episode. She's fantastic in this episode. <laughs> She is great in this episode, and I feel like she's also, this is like a good period for Arya on the show uh, in terms of like this journey that she's going on post Shauna's murder. Uh, these are these are some of the best Arya episodes that we get, I think, on top of a lot of really good Arya work at the end of the last season as she processes, um, as she processes everything that's that's been going on with her, um, you know, adult male predator boyfriend slash stalker. I'm going to actually say, I think this is a, a great acting episode for all five of the liars. I think that they all get really fun, good stuff to do in this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a good Mike episode. It's always fun to see him. Uh, and LOL to like you were talking about how we were framing it uh, with all of the liars and their families. Like, of course, Arya, the character I... who like actually murdered someone in the last episode is the only one not engaged in active conversation with her parents. <laughs> like her parents are just like downstairs drinking wine and reading the newspaper. And it's up to Mike to be like, hey, were you in New York or Philadelphia? Did your English teacher boyfriend get shot? What's going on? And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Do you want to talk about any nameless cats? I'll talk about that. Otherwise, <laughs> out of here. Just a couple of no-name slobs. Yeah. <laughs> Allison, 
she is in an upstairs window and throws her phone down to them in a roll of toilet paper. Uh, there is a text on the screen, the truth will bury you in a New York minute. Emily hilariously asks, who sent you this? <laughs> Which, like, this is season five, Emily feels. <laughs> Keep up! <laughs> like, you know, like, what if Allison just was like, <laughs> what if Allison was like, oh, you know, my old friend, like, my old friend from camp just sent me, like, of course Allison doesn't know who sent her this text. No one ever knows who sent the text. But anyway, uh, in order to communicate that she does not know, Allison fogs up the window and dramatically draws a question mark. I love how dramatic Allison is in this episode. Oh, my heart. Uh, and then Spencer and Emily close this out by looking at each other anxiously. I love everything about this scene. I I love how, like, Emily and Spencer have become, like, the de facto detectives whenever the case turns to Jason. Like, they are, it's like they are always the two. And, it you know, it's kind of like we've talked about this with, like, Noel. Jason is one of those characters where I feel like we have to have our, like, once a season Jason might be bad arc. Kind of like our once a season Noel might be bad arc or our once a season Jenna might be bad arc. And now it's Jason's turn. I love the immediate way that um, Allison's return has like rattled both Spencer and Emily, but in such different ways that Spencer is like frustrated and feels like they're being controlled by Allison. And Emily is just like all in on whatever Allison is talking about. And then I love Allison tossing this thing out the window and then writing on the window like it's just it's so great it's so needlessly dramatic um I just love it so much. yeah it is it is really wonderful uh and I agree I like the duo of Emily and Spencer being the ones who are investigating Jason uh Spencer because she has these feelings of like that's my brother and Emily because she has these feelings of that's my brother-in-law someday, <laughs> I hope. Maybe tomorrow if I play my cards right. Right. <laughs> Maybe with a couple of weird twins and a <laughs> house rat Allison. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Allison, she is in her old room. Uh, Sasha is great in this scene. Uh, she's looking around her room really emotionally. She's kind of looking at her old clothes she sits down and picks up an old doll that she, like, clearly has something hidden in the neck of. But before she can pry the neck of said doll off, uh, Kenneth walks in. He suggests that maybe she should sleep downstairs. She says that she wants to sleep up here. She's been sleep dreaming about sleeping in her own bed. Uh, he says he doesn't know if he can ever let her out of his sight again and also lets her know that they don't know where her mom is. I love how Allie is like, I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's such an alley line. It's like that line where she was like, like, she was like, I'm just being weird. Like when she was like actively crying and like uh, upset after Jason's party. Um, I'm sure she's fine. Uh, Kenneth says that he wants Allison to feel safe. And he has asked the police to put up a barrier at the end of the street, like the powerful white man that he is. Uh, he says she doesn't have to talk to anybody and he will help her forget the terrible years, which Kenneth no surprise that you're advocating for forgetting, but like, that's not what you do with your trauma. Uh, there's like no mention, by the way, of Allison getting into therapy in this episode, which is like one of many red flags. 
Uh, he pulls out a picture of her from his wallet from when she was little, saying he refuses to let this little girl go. Uh, Allison cries as she... ...no longer exists. On his way out the door, he tells her about the divorce, uh, which Emily, of course, has already told Allison about. They sort of apologize to each other, and then Allison is left alone in the room to cry. Oh, Allison, never getting the support that you so desperately need. I I really, really like this scene so much. I love that the picture of Allie as a child looks remarkably like cc drake that's a great um that's a great detail uh Mm. i love how like i love how you don't really know like as this scene goes on like you know kenneth is crying kenneth is like genuinely emotional and upset and like you know like weeping as he's reunited with his daughter but like allison's demeanor during this conversation is just fascinating like she seems weepy too, but like how much is artifice? How much is real? How much is Allison recalibrating how conditional or unconditional her parents' love is? Like how yeah. much of her is mourning the innocence of this baby that he's carrying around in his wallet who bears like physical, but not like emotional or mature resemblance to like the woman that she is? Like all of that is impossible to say. And like Kenneth is a super shitty parent. Like, his behavior to Charlotte is appalling. He spends most of this episode treating Jason like worse than a dog. Uh, so he is like terrible. But in in this scene, uh, and specifically to Allison, uh, he is seeming like a controlling but engaged parent. Well, I totally agree. And I, I also think that Kenneth is one of those characters who is written as the narrative needs him to be like, I don't, I don't, because I don't think that they had solidified the Charlotte backstory by the time they were writing this. I don't think that like the monster that they write Kenneth as in like season six is necessarily like, I think that they were writing him pretty differently there than he was here. He's terrible to Jason in this episode, which we'll get into. And he also like, let us not forget that he was terrible to Hannah way back when, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I feel like they they do a bit of retconning with that character in season six. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no doubt. Um, so Arya is alone in her bed trying to read Paradise Lost in the dark. Uh, she tries to sleep, but upon closing her eyes, she is haunted by visions of killing Shauna, interspersed with images of Jenna and the memory of Shauna playing her violin at the open mic that one time. But lo, she hears a violin in her room, the telltale violin, playing on like a ghost. Uh, She goes to her slightly open window to see if anyone is outside. No one is, but her phone lights up with a call from Hannah. Yeah, it's it's great that, like, it's so kind of um, Aria that, like, this is how she would like this is how she would process her trauma in like this very dramatic sort of cinematic way a hundred percent yeah yeah uh do you want me to take the hannah phone call or do you yeah want to take yeah okay. go right ahead so um hannah calls uh assuming that aria has heard about the message that allison got which is allegedly the reason that allison lied um aria has not been told and I love how Ali is back and already the liars are not communicating as fully as they usually do. Uh, Aria kind of takes in this information while looking out, giving one more look outside. 
uh, of of concern. Yes, yes. Um, Allison herself is also trying to sleep, uh, but she keeps jolting awake at every sound. She pretends to be asleep as the hinge on her door creaks ominously, and Jason, looking rough, like he is, <laughs> he is like uh, being styled as like Jason might be evil now. Jason, all episode, uh, he's sort of unshaven. He's dressing uh, like a cat burglar. He's got on like a a beanie that he's wearing like down low on his forehead. Uh, and just, like, skulking about suspiciously. Uh, and he just kind of, like, looks in on her like a creeper. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's very much like Jason is is evil. Like, he's been, like, possessed by by the spirit of, of something terrible here. Um, over at the Marin house, uh, Kenneth is at the door, which I feel like I had this immediate reaction of like, oh my God, Kenneth, don't hit on Ashley because like, I Ah. still remember Byron and the whole fax machine. Um, But Kenneth walks in, who was sitting at the top of the stairs, overhears him asking Ashley for help. He does not know where Jessica is, uh, which I feel like all of this would be a great setup to Ashley and Jessica having had an affair, which is like always what I want to be the secret reveal. Um, But Kenneth is very upset that his wife isn't home. Uh, He asks Ashley to go through Jessica's emails because all of the passwords have been changed. Uh, Then berates his, you know, useless druggy son for not having what he deems an appropriate reaction to Allison's return. Jason hasn't shed a tear. Uh, What a prince Kenneth is. Ashley seems very uncomfortable by this request. uh, While also offering some sympathy for Jason, a.k.a. the young man that she will in not that long, not that long away, uh, bang in her kitchen. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Ken has like a real beaky eagle face, I feel like. His eagle, his eagle face is on full display here when he's like trying to bully Ashley into doing this. I remember that. The Bros Watch PLL2 podcast, I always think of this when I look at Ken. They said that it, every time you see Ken on screen, it looks like he just, like, drank a jar of his own piss. <laughs> <laughs> because he's always kind of grimacing and scowling. And I think about that every time I look at him. Yeah, that's it's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's morning now, and uh, Jason is standing out on the porch doing something with his phone. Uh, Allison comes out and sits down despite his like general discouragement and wanting her to go back inside. Uh, she says he hasn't asked her any questions. Uh, and he says he figured she could use her space. Um, she wants to know what Jessica's reaction was to learning that she was alive. And Jason describes Jessica as stunned. Uh, I really like the way that they are feeling each other out here mm-hmm. uh, in that, like, she and Jason are siblings. They know each other well enough uh, that Jason probably knows that Allison is lying. He knows that there's a really good chance that this story uh, that she's selling regarding the kidnapping may not be true. Um, but she's kind of like feeling him out. Like, is he going to be an ally? Is he going to be an enemy? Like, why isn't he curious? What's going on? Um, so she's kind of feeling him out. And he's kind of trying to, like, hold his cards close to his chest. Uh, He definitely still is feeling, like, a lot of loyalty to Jessica, um, who is, like, absent and who he feels like 
he kind of needs to protect. Um, but their conversation is interrupted by a woman from the local animal shelter. Uh, I think that this character, who we see only briefly in this scene, is probably queer. Uh, she's wearing a fleece vest, <laughs> yes! and she works in an animal shelter. So uh, we're gonna we're just gonna go with that. Kathy Parnas from the animal shelter bringing the dog, um, and she is scheduled to bring uh, Jessica's newly adopted uh, pupper. Jason is like immediately anti-dog and like not only anti-dog but like just like aggressively like growling at this woman like get it back into the van like you know like so he's not just he's not just like menacing and evil he also hates dogs that's that's where he is right now um he feels about this dog the way Kenneth feels about him uh, in the sense of wishing it to be returned to the pound and possibly put down <laughs> as soon as possible. Uh, Allie feels differently holding out her hand to take the dog's leash. I think this interaction with this lady who I also flagged as queer uh, <laughs> so, is so funny to me because like she just she just like glares daggers at Jason. She's like, this dog has issues with men. <laughs> As do I. <laughs> and then she's like very sweet to Allison. Um, and Allison is like immediately drawn to this dog. Like she's like, she she's like, this dog has issues. I have issues. We might be kindred spirits. Um, <laughs> this, this dog has issues with men. I have issues with men. I think, I don't know if it's before or after this woman says that the dog has issues with men, but Allison's first reaction to the dog is, he's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, just a couple of no-name slobs, Allison. Um, <laughs> Pepe the dog. Uh, I really, this is, I really love Allison's outfit in this scene and for much of this episode. I feel like it's an outfit, like Allison so often pre-series was like, you know, early 2000s like 19 year old going to the club uh and then I feel like later in the series they just put her in all of these weird sort of shapeless school marm sacks but this is like I love this outfit that they put on her because it's it's kind of it's there's something very soft about it like she's wearing this like soft looking kind of pink sweater and these like kind of you know cuffed jeans and she just looks really comfortable and it's like it's like a side of Allie that we don't usually see. She's like sitting on her porch. She's taken in the, you know, the the daylight. It's finally daylight in Rosewood after episodes and episodes of nighttime. Um, but I also really like that this episode lets, like, it lets us sit in moments of discomfort. Um, it doesn't feel the need to, like, rush to explain the conflict necessarily the way that I think a lot of PLL episodes do. Like, this situation between Allison and Jason is awkward and uncomfortable and there's like multiple reasons for that and the episode isn't like definitively saying exactly what it is even though the liars are throwing out theories oh also when you talk about this episode giving characters room like the scene with aria uh being trying to sleep and then hearing the violin music and then the scene after that of allison waking up when she hears a noise and jason creeping in her room those are both like scenes with no dialogue and we're right. going to get other scenes that really don't have much dialogue. Like the, the last like three minutes of this episode don't really have a lot of dialogue in them, but it, it lets you like, it lets you go on a journey with these moments and they don't need to over explain because they're actually showing you what's happening with these character journeys. And that's like, that's the show trusting the audience in a way that they 
sometimes don't often do uh, when they're like rushing to explain like five things that don't make sense. And don't matter. Right. It's true. Uh, So Mona is outside at the brew. She has a big box that she's carrying and she seems a bit nervous. She's kind of moving a bit anxiously. Um, Mike approaches and one of the things that I just really appreciate about their relationship is you can tell in every scene that they're together, Mike just thinks Mona is so cool. Like he's just like so into Mona. And we know that like Mona is very into, you know, characters like Hannah and Allison that maybe don't always uh, see her that way. And I appreciate that Mike is like Mona is the coolest girl ever because she is Um, Mike and I agree on that. Uh, so Mike wants to talk, Mike is now like, Aria won't talk to me about Allison. Maybe Mona will gossip with me about Allison. (laughs) Um, won't somebody talk to Mike about Allison? Uh, but Mona decides to play along with the whole Allie kidnapping story, saying that whoever took Allie is probably looking for his next victim and they need to be prepared. Mona has ordered whistles for every girl in the school and also like set up some app to be able to help them all of which is like more uh, care for the girls at R- of Rosewood High than any teacher or faculty member has ever exhibited. Um, she There's like a comment about uh, every girl having a bodyguard and Mike kind of lightly flirts about his desire to be her bodyguard, which I like I find cuter than if it was like Toby flirting about being Spencer's bodyguard. And there's like definitely some like cute smitten energy between the two of them. Oh, I, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm Vandermeer forever, but I, I do enjoy the Mona-Mike relationship as well. If Mona is going to be in a straight relationship, I'd rather it be Mike than like pretty much anybody else. Well, and Mike had a big crush on Hannah too. So they do have that in common. They do. They do. They probably like, I feel like, I feel like it's like a, they trade off who wears the Hannah wig in the bedroom kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Emily is heading to Allie's to return the cell phone as Spencer joins her. Uh, they discuss Hannah having told Aria about the text, Aria worrying that she's about to be turned into the police, etc. Uh, Spencer has decided that the new texter is probably Jenna, uh, but before she can go too far down that rabbit hole, uh, she starts digging through the dealer and his trash bins to see what it was that Jason threw away last night. It was, it turns out, trash, uh, including a bag from a bakery in New York. Uh, this is enough. Like Emily, who is just like weaving stories out of whole cloth this episode, like Emily immediately spins this whole theory of like Jason not being surprised to see Allison and they know that his rehab stint was a lie. What if Jessica had him tracking Allie for weeks or months? Maybe he sent the text to prevent Allie from letting the police know about Jessica. Speaking of Jessica, she buried her own child. Who would she want to protect so badly if not her other kid? Uh, This is hilarious because, like, Emily just, like, ate her Wheaties this morning and is now (laughs) on, like, is really, like, now on this major detective track. Uh, and also, it's really funny because she's actually correct, except that she is accusing the wrong secret birth child. Well, what I find so funny about this is, like, the part about that gets kind of just thrown in there about, oh, the only person that Mrs. D would cover 
for would be her other child. Like we had commented on the fact that that seemed really obvious and like seemed like something they probably would have gotten to earlier. And at this point, they think that Jason is the only other child. So it seems that seems pretty reasonable. But this whole other like first part that Emily just quickly throws together (laughs) is like, wow, that's that we are taking a lot of leaps. Um, And it's interesting because it, it makes me think like, Spencer with her attachment to Jason like if it was any other character Spencer would have gotten there first but it's Jason and Spencer doesn't ever want to accuse Jason oh yeah this is I feel like Emily in this episode uh is very much like in the episode of Mad Men where they're all on speed and they're trying to come up with ad campaigns and like they're (laughs) like Stan gets like he does like 60 ideas in like two minutes or something like Emily is capable of that right now Spencer was like Give me 60 ideas for what has happened, <laughs> but Allison is innocent. I feel like Emily could do it. Like, she is really trying to, like, will that future into existence by sheer force of will. Uh, and, and good luck to her. Good luck to her with that endeavor. Yeah, she's she's like Hamilton, you know, writing the papers about defending the Constitution. <laughs> like she, just, she just can't stop herself. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Aria, who spends a lot of this episode listening to music, uh, is is listening to her music while uh, scouring the internet for news of Shauna by typing into a news site, Theater, Dead Girl, Georgia. Straight to the point, Aria. She quickly deletes this search, which is probably a good idea, but suddenly all of her music is replaced by violin tracks. There's some violin, and then she skips, and there's another violin song, and then she skips, and there's another violin song. A has hacked her iPad, I, iPod. Uh, and side note, I feel like later we find out that, like, this is the shared iPod of the Montgomery siblings, which is a bizarre twist for this episode. Yes, I totally agree. This is another great nonverbal scene, though, uh, where we just see, like, Lucy Hale's frantic reactions and building panic of like violin, more violin. Like her <laughs> eyes, her eyes get like bigger with every track uh, that is still violin. Well, and also like this is an indication of how thinly sketched Shauna's character was. That like literally the <laughs> the three facts we know about her are like violin, lesbian, swimmer. And so it's like, hmm, how can we establish that, like, Arya is being haunted by what she did and, like, perhaps A is, like, trying to torture her? I know, violin music! <laughs> but the episode doesn't even trust us to remember that Shauna played the violin because we've only seen it once, and so they just, like, show us that flashback earlier. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it, it would be funny if Arya was being taunted by, like, sexts from Shauna <laughs> like <laughs> that she sent to Emily oh my gosh yes Aria being haunted by nudes and violin uh would be a good twist I, I do agree it would be and Aria was like hmm, I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me <laughs> oh <clears throat> so Emily is sitting on Allison's bed with Allison's new dog sleeping between them. Uh, She's giving Allie the rundown on Jason coming back from New York the same night that they did, uh, brandishing the bakery bag like a smoking gun. Uh, Allie tells them that Jason was in her room last night watching her sleep. She solicits Spencer's opinion about whether to be afraid of their big brother. Uh, This is such nice work by Allison. 
reinforcing this bond that she has with Spencer when she feels that Spencer's loyalty might be fraying. Uh, she also asks Spencer's uh, opinion about, you know, could it be possible that Jason bashed her head in with a rock? Uh, Spencer kind of goes off on Allison for needling both of their families with the info about Jason's parentage. And Allison doesn't think it's a big deal. She even thinks that her dad probably knows by this point. Uh, Allison wants to know if it tracks that Jason was involved. And now Jessica has run off as soon as Allison turned out to be alive. Spencer thinks that it does, but also has a lot of venom uh, about Jessica having been involved in Allie's disappearance, yet framing the four of them as pathological liars, uh, you know, for, for the past several years. Now, even if they do find out who hit Allie from behind, no one is going to believe them. Uh, Emily Fields does not have time for this crossfire between Allie and Spencer. She does not want her future wife to sleep in the house with potentially creepy Jason. Uh, Allison is really clear on her dad not letting her go anywhere. She has a few ideas on how to handle things. And Spencer snarks that she could give them a heads up so that they aren't caught paddling around like idiots. Uh, and Allison says that she made up the story about the kidnapping in order to protect Aria. She kind of killed someone, remember? <laughs> and then Spencer snipes that uh, she still could have consulted them. Emily wants peace in the land and for them to focus on whoever is trying to sink them. Now, shout out to Emily's queer look in this scene. Uh, it's an athletic jersey with the number 10 on it. Does this represent her placement on the Kinsey scale? or Emily's overall hotness rating, uh, perhaps the maximum number of seconds it would take her to shove Spencer out of this room, lock the door, light some candles, and show Allie some lesbian sex magic. Uh, I'm just saying, all of this, Allison isn't safe here, uh, is clearly an opening uh, that she is designing to get Allison to suggest that Emily sleep over for Allie's protection. Yeah, I mean, I texted this to you, but like alternate theory, Emily sent that text just as a way to get <laughs> to Allison's bed or Allison into her bed. Um, I love this scene. I love the blocking of Emily in the bed with Allison and Spencer, like always at the edges of the room, like as physically far from Allison as she can be while still being in the same room. And Spencer is like extremely closed off in her posture this whole time. Uh, while Emily is like super like open and, you know, doing everything short of like wrapping her arms around Allison and refusing to let go. Um, I love how just how again, like how off kilter Allison's presence makes them like how she just they're all kind of like floundering and just kind of flailing about trying to like get their heads above water with this this new um, the new old presence of Allison being back here. I love how Spencer's bitterness towards Allie can be read, you know, as literally the things that she's upset about Allison for, but also the fact that like Allison is here trying to reclaim the spot of leader and Spencer does not want to give that up. Um, meanwhile, Emily is just like, I feel like Emily might be like slightly turned on by the tension between Spencer and Allie. Like it's, it's not, not something that Emily's fantasized about before, you know, um, but she'd rather like be the thing that they're arguing over, uh, not this whole Jessica Jason situation. True, true. I mean, Emily, I think, feels like things are going pretty well for her at this time. Like she and her future wife have kind of co-adopted this dog that is on the bed with them right now. 
And she's like really working very hard to get this sleepover invitation, which certainly seems within her grasp at this point. Like it definitely like the things are falling in motion of like Allison doesn't really feel safe here. What's going to happen? Um, and it, it really seems like Emily is going to decide that like, well, you probably need this dog and me to both be sleeping in your bed tonight. Yeah. Emily has real Maya energy in this episode, I think. I, I yeah. In terms of coming in. Uh, coming in at an 11 or a 10 per her shirt. Maybe it was a reminder to her to like keep it at a 10. Like the 10 was <laughs> like the maximum. Yeah, the maximum that she wanted to be dialed in at. Uh, but who can blame her? Who can blame her for exceeding it just a little bit? Exactly, exactly. So uh, Hannah comes down. role where she's really uncomfortable she's like kind of gonna do it she doesn't really want to admit to it she feels weird about it but like she also like she's really it's a it feels like a very um a somewhat relatable human conflict on a show where often the conflicts are like very outrageous um ashley says that it feels like a betrayal but hannah is pro looking through the emails saying that it's better for ashley to do it than the police um when ashley goes to answer the phone hannah sneaks a peek ashley is going to spend a lot of time like leaving these emails up for her very snoopy daughter to just like run over and start combing through them you know what's so silly is like yeah there's this scene where hannah gets to like screen snoop and there's going to be another scene where, like, it's basically this exact same setup. Like, Ashley leaves the room, Hannah snoops. Uh, and then eventually Hannah is going to deliver the printed out emails over to Kenneth. So I don't really know why they needed, like, two different scenes to set up <laughs> Hannah snooping. Yeah, I, I, there's a, the one character who's, like, not as served by this episode, I think, is Hannah. Like, Hannah doesn't have a whole lot to do until the later part of the episode. Oh, my goodness. Um yeah, I also shout out to Hannah for being very stealthy this week. Like she eavesdropped on the stairs unobserved and now she's really? like she's like eating her cereal with one hand and just <laughs> leaning over to look at those emails uh in a in a very funny way. <laughs> yes. Oh, so Spencer returns home to once again find a man in the kitchen. If I ever made like a, a PLL bingo or like a PLL drinking game, Spencer returns to find a man in the kitchen uh, <laughs> would would really be like up there. Uh, this time it's Tobey and he acts delighted to see her and she appears really happy to see him as well. Happy days, everyone. Spencer has kicked that pesky addiction and is worthy of love in this episode. Woo. Uh, Toby acts like a globetrotting playboy, having eaten <laughs> dinner on two continents, etc. Also, he has really floppy hair, uh, and he is dropping some revelations. Um, he has already spilled some tea to Veronica, uh, in, in the in the sense of like you know the liars have this drama of like were they in Philly, were they in New York, uh, and now. We're going to learn that Melissa, despite claiming she returned to Rosewood immediately after Toby arrived in London to tell her about Spencer's troubles, uh, that Melissa was not in London at all. Gasp. He found Wren staying at Melissa's apartment, and Melissa had apparently been gone for some time. 
probably shacked up with Charlotte and or prepping for their new life together in Paris. But of course, the show just leaves that to our imagination. Um, Veronica is disturbed and heads off to meet a client in town. Spencer and Toby talk about, you know, WTF, he went to London. uh, And he says, well, he wanted to find out the truth from Melissa. Uh, Gosh, this guy, he's always trying to help Spencer. Despite his extreme fury and huffy storming off that he does constantly, and certainly did the last time they were together, uh, you know, why stay in town and support your partner through their attempts to recover from addiction? No, no. Best to hurry off to a different continent to randomly try to accuse their sister of what exactly? Anyway, yes, he's heard that Allison is back, but now he wants to hear about it from Spencer. This is such a weird storyline. <laughs> the, the Toby goes to London storyline. Like it's, it's just, it's so unnecessary. Um, I, I do love Veronica in this scene being like, I would rather stick a knife in the toaster than talk to Ren Kingston. And I also feel like Veronica is like lightly encouraging some teen sex here because she's like, you guys better stay inside. I'm going to meet a client. Like, <laughs> have fun. Um, it's, it's weird. Um, but yeah, Toby's hair. Wow. It's, it's, it's something. Uh- I I made a terrible mistake. I saw his hair here and I was like, oh, what's happening? And I was like, I know his hair did not look this floppy and greasy last time we saw him. So I actually went back to the previous episode uh, where he like, he comes back, he's been gone a really long time and he comes back and he and Spencer are eating lunch at the, uh, at the high school. And I, I flipped back to that scene just to check on what his hair looked like. And it was really a bad choice because right as I like got to the part where I wanted to see his hair, it's when he's hugging her and sniffing her <laughs> hair in that weird way and saying he like, he'd almost forgotten how she smells. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, this is like, if you're squeamish, do not prod the beach rubble. Like, just, I, should not, I should not have gone back to look up anything uh, regarding Toby. That was not a good call. But yeah, his hair, like, his hair grew, like, three inches and became way greasier uh, during his time on the continent. <laughs> well, yes, he's been globetrotting. He hasn't had time to wash it in a while, apparently. Yeah, I think Toby should always have short hair, though. Like he's he the long the long Calebby hair does not work on him. Caleb should always have long hair, and Toby should always have short hair. That's my feeling. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with that. I think you're I think you're onto something for sure. I think Caleb gets meaner the shorter his hair gets. That's my theory. Oh, I mean, they're both, but. They're both jerkier when they have short hair. Like, this long-haired Toby yeah. is physically unappealing, but at least he's being <laughs> fairly nice. That's true. That's true. Um, so, Arya is in... Is this... This is not the barn. This is just, like, a weird old shed? Uh, yeah, this is the shed in the woods. Okay. Okay. This is the shed in the woods, like, full of, like, old hula hoops and old you know, pink cans and all sorts of old stuff. Uh, she's, Arya is like frantically setting up uh, this little kind of cot area in the middle of this shed uh, when Emily walks in. Arya has big Jenna's hat party energy as she <laughs> whirls around saying that they need to make this lie look real. They should have come here at last night to set things up. They can't waste any more time. 
Uh, and she is not happy about not being told uh, about the alley text situation. Emily defends the choice to keep Arya out of the loop while Arya continues to march around with concern. Uh, Emily echoes Spencer's comment about how it's one thing to not contradict Allison's story and another thing to add to it, uh, which I, I that feels very Emily to me that she would have been like defensive in that conversation with Spencer, but like actually kind of internalized that advice. Uh, Arya snaps that she can't do nothing because of because A knows what she did. Uh, Emily, you know, pulls out the old there is no more A and Arya exclaims that she killed Shauna and now Shauna will never get to repent or apologize or make good or graduate high school. And Arya flops down saying she doesn't know how she can live with herself. This is some really good Lucy Hell acting here. And again, also feels very Arya to me that like she would believe that somebody could be redeemed. And the, the idea that they wouldn't get to see that redemption would really be hard for her. Uh, Emily, being the only other liar who has killed somebody, uh, bends down to offer Arya some wisdom, saying that she's been there, she gets that it was her life or Shauna's life, which I feel like the Nate situation was a little bit more straightforward than the Arya-Shauna situation, but okay. Uh, Arya, like, picks up a can and throws it, which I don't know if this was, like, a Lucy Hale uh, improv moment, but I just love it. Like, it's just, like, this, like, moment of frustration um, and Arya misses when they were kids and used to sneak out here. And their biggest problem was getting peanut butter stuck in their braces. Emily doesn't voice that her biggest problem was pretending she didn't want to jump Allison's bones. It's <laughs> sad. It's a good scene, but it's a sad scene. It is. I love this scene. It starts out and Arya is just looking so wild. Like she's crouched yeah. down. Her eyes are like huge her hair is like her hair is like an animal's pelt when it's like on end <laughs> like she really um she kind of looks like she's maybe um she's maybe like trying out for like a role that uh Helena Bonham Carter might play like in a Timothy Burton yes. movie or like yes. in the Harry Potter series she's really like that's the that's the look that she has here and, like, I had forgotten exactly what happened in this scene. When I first saw her crouching down, I was like, is she, like, literally pulling up floorboards to, like, telltale heart <laughs> this even further? Like, because it really looks like that is the emotional, like, place that she's in. Uh, but I love this scene with her and Emily. I think that it's really nice. And it's one of those, like, you were saying, like, we get some unusual character combos. I feel like an emotional intelligence conversation of this nature between Emily and Aria uh, it works perfectly here. And the fact that we don't see them share a ton of screen time together, uh, just the two of them, really, uh, really makes this uh, a really beautiful moment for the two of them. Yeah, and I really like that after so many episodes with Arya's angst being about Prezra, I mean, I'm not happy that Arya killed Shauna, but it is nice to see her like wrestling with something else dramatically. And yeah. like just it's refreshing. Yeah, for sure. And and that like Emily is able to be like, well, you may have heard I killed a guy one time. So <laughs> here's here's some wisdom I will drop on you as a result. Turns out I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, over at the Marins, Ashley needs to check on some printer paper once again, leaving Hannah alone with the computer. Hannah takes a break from pretending to do the dishes to screen snoop in Jessica's email some more. 
Hannah finds a message from Jessica to an unspecified recipient that reads, I can't protect you anymore. Boom, boom, boom. The email doesn't have the boom, boom, boom music attached to it, but like existentially it does. It's implied. It's implied. Um, So it's teen sex time. Spoby are making out and undressing and it's just a big old ugh. You know, we get Toby abs. Uh, Spencer says that the next time he goes to London, he's taking her with him and they're never coming back. And Toby looks like maybe mildly concerned that his girlfriend is like talking about wanting to leave and never come back. But then they resume the sex. Yeah, I I had this down as the greasy heterosexual interlude. Uh, Toby probably smells like airplane. And also with his hair like this, when he crawls up onto Spencer, he looks like nothing so much as a feral possum. So this is like... (laughs) Well, you know what's funny is like there was a split second when this scene started because his hair is so long where I was like, whoa, is there some, like, queer making out in this episode that I didn't remember? And then it's like, no, it's just Toby. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Ah. So over at the De Laurentiis house, Kenneth is laying into Jason some more. Uh, Jason is planning to head to Philly mm-hmm. after dinner, and Pops does not trust him to not talk to reporters, slash not be meeting with Jessica, slash not be planning to do something that will embarrass the family further. Uh, Emily hanging out in case Allie wants a back rub and now enlisted to walk Pepe the dog eavesdrops from behind a doorway as Ken accuses Jason of knowing where Jessica is. I love Kenneth's like, whose dog is that? Reaction. <laughs> uh, I love every time in this episode that someone says, whose dog is that? It's like, <laughs> it's like the same joke, but it's funny every time. Makes you realize that like animals, like pets, don't really exist in PLL other than Tippy the bird. You know, like nobody has a pet, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, I I love I love Jason's line about you know I don't I won't embarrass you more than I already have. I love that Jason knows that his dad is an asshole, and also this isn't actually his dad. <laughs> Peter Hastings is his dad, but I love that Jason like completely clearly sees through Kenneth. And I had this thought in this episode. Um, I never thought of it this way, but I had this thought in this episode. Jason knows that his dad is an asshole and he is presumably rather close with his mom at this point. It seems like before Jessica died, she and Jason were on relatively good terms. I'm wondering if Jason believes or if Jessica has told Jason that Kenneth is in any way abusive, which we know Kenneth is was very abusive to Charlotte, at least, I mean, at least uh, emotionally and mentally abusive, if not um, physically. Th- it makes a lot of sense that Jason would not want to tell his father where his mother is if he believes that his mother is in any way in danger. Oh, well, and Kenneth is being emotionally abusive to Jason throughout the episode in every single interaction they have. So, like... Kenneth is not, you know, he's not troubling to, like, hide that side of himself in any way. Right, right. And I never really sort of looked at it through the lens of, like, um, Jason trying to potentially, like, physically or emotionally protect his mother. But, like, I just found it really heartbreaking to think about it from that perspective. Um, and, And also, like, very 
true. I mean, I, I, Jason, that is, yeah. Um, so Aria arrives home to find Mike and Mona canoodling on the couch. Uh, Mike tells her that he got, that there's veggie pizza for her if she wants it, but Aria is not hungry. Mona is worried about Aria walking around in the dark by herself. Uh, Mike hands back Aria's iPod that he apparently used, uh, to, to like use to get some music off of, which like, why did these teens share an iPod? This is like really weird, but he kind of like casually half admits that the violin music, uh, was his. I feel like Mike is being very sweet to Arya here. And like Arya is just like not letting any of it in. Um, but he seems to be able to tell that his sister is like about to spin out about something. So he offers to take Mona home. Uh, he goes to get his jacket. And as soon as he gets out of the room, Arya turns on Mona. Is Mona here to poop or to snoop? Uh, <laughs> Mona delightedly hands Arya with a whistle saying that they can use what happened to Allison as a wake up call. Uh, Arya asks if this is a threat. Mona replies that it's a whistle. You just put it between your lips and blow. And it is said, I mean, there's no way to make that line not sound super, super flirty, but like Mona's definitely like putting a little extra, extra sauce on it. Uh, Mona brings up the uh, Allison story uh, saying that she has a few, or no, no, Al- or sorry, Arya brings up the Allison story um, and they kind of talk about how Mona has some things she'd like to keep quiet. And Mona asks how Mr. Fitz is doing, if he's feeling better, just as Mike returns. Oh, my goodness. This scene is fantastic. I also like how Arya, like, confronts Mona. Like, Allison told us about the time you spent with her at the Lost Woods Resort. Like, oh, really, Arya? What did she tell you about it? Please (laughs) go into, spare me no detail. Um, but we, we don't get to, we don't get to hear more about that, but I, I also love, it's almost like a, a green eggs and ham situation here where Mona's like, would you like this whistle? Would you like to talk about Allison? Would you like any of these things? And Arya's like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about any of this. I don't want to take your whistle. I don't want a veggie pizza. Like, I don't want anything, uh, except to just like rail on you because I blame you for lots of the bad things that are happening to me right now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's really fun. I love the moments where like Arya is just completely spinning out about something and Mona gets to be like the calm, cool, sane one and be like, oh, Arya, like, are you okay? Like, how can I help you? Arya is having a really bad day. Like she's already having all these murder hangover emotions. And now it looks like Mike and Mona are back together. Like Arya is definitely... And her parents are once more, like, nowhere to be found. Like, <laughs> right. not not an adult Montgomery to be seen. And Arya's like, my predator boyfriend is in the hospital. I just murdered someone. And now my teen brother, who I'm raising as a single mom, is back with Mona. <laughs> like, it's just all, it's all too much for her. It's been a rough time. It's been a really rough time. <laughs> oh, so Hannah is dropping off the email info in a manila envelope uh, just as Emily returns from walking the dog. Uh, And so here they both are uh, in the dealer and his house talking to Kenneth. um, And he asks if they would like to stay for dinner. 
Uh, Emily wants to, still hoping to be asked to help Allison draw a bubble bath uh, and eventually sleep over, etc. But Hannah is like, nope, we can't tonight, sorry, and has been hauling her outside, uh, which Emily does not appreciate, uh, so that Emily can hear about the email uh, that was in Mrs. D's drafts folder. Uh, Emily then fills Hannah in on Jason and his weird need to drop something off in Philly, the fact that he might know where his mom is. Uh, as they sit in the car having this debriefing, and as Emily is calculating how quickly she can get away and go back in uh, to see if the dinner offer is still on the table, there is a menacing knock on the driver's side window. It is Jason himself bitching at Hannah and her mom for invading his mother's privacy. He is still wearing his burglar fashion as he scowls and tells them both to stay out of it. Uh, then he stomps off to his car and drives away. Emily wants Hannah to follow. Hannah needs to change her underwear, but presumably puts this mission on hold as she eventually pulls out to tail his sketchy acting self in case he is about to meet up with Jessica. Um, I, I love like just the, the sort of, um, just like the, the awkwardness of like this whole situation with Kenneth, like none of them really know how to relate to Kenneth. Um, cause Kenneth is like a weird guy. Um, and also like, it's weird how, like the, the last time Kenneth and Hannah spoke, he was yelling at her. Um, I also like how they're like, friend in Philly must be code for New York for some reason. Uh, like, they just think that Jason is, like, constantly bopping over to New York. And this is where I took the note after he kind of uh, bitches to Hannah about about the snooping. This is where I took the note, like, if he thinks that his mom is hiding from his dad for a legitimate reason, I can understand why he'd be pretty pissed that Hannah and Ashley gave up information about where Jessica might actually be. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely... I definitely agree with that. Uh, and I feel like Kenneth, like when we when we start the scene, Kenneth is like thanking Hannah and, you know, oh, thank yeah. your mother for me, too. And this is definitely like this is definitely like the two faces of an abuser. Like, isn't he kind? Isn't he generous asking if they want to stay for dinner? Like, isn't he being so hospitable when we've seen how he's treating Jason in this episode? We've seen how he treated Hannah herself in the past. Like, so he's mm -hmm. just, you know, this is just him. Like, he he's as much of a mask wearer as Allison when it comes down to it. Oh, absolutely. A absolutely. Uh, Hannah and Emily find themselves in what I assume is supposed to be the sketchy part of town, but really doesn't look that bad. Like, this looks like a place where Caleb would hook kids up with extra ringtones, you know? <laughs> Um, they see Jason go up to a building and hit a buzzer and then get back in his car and drive away. Uh, Emily and Hannah wonder if Mrs. D is hiding there. Uh, Hannah doesn't think that she'd be caught dead there, but they think maybe she's laying low. I love that Hannah is wearing this like super bright necklace for this like secret, you know, covert mission. It's, it's great. Um, they go up and then Emily just starts like randomly hitting buzzers because she is, again, coming in at 11 and is extremely sexually frustrated at this point. Um, but they are then suddenly spooked by a man who is either 
inebriated or missing some teeth or something, but he he scares them. He's he's just kind of talking to them and asking questions. Emily says that they're looking at a sublet. Uh, he makes a remark about Hannah being her real estate agent, and it's enough to kind of spook them back to the car. They literally run back to the car and drive away. Oh, my goodness. These two... Uh, then we get Spencer and Toby are in bed, uh, in Spencer's room, just blatantly having sex in her parents' house since no one's ever home. Uh, they are in the afterglow and Spencer's phone is ringing off the hook. Uh, she doesn't want to answer it or check on it at all. Toby presses why not as it continues to ring and beep and just generally be disruptive. Uh, is it about Allison? He asks, is it about Melissa? Uh, Spencer says no and thus reactivate Toby's whole why won't you confide in me routine. Yeah, second verse, same as the first with these two. Um, Spencer looks tearful and withdrawn in this scene. And is it is it everything? Is it Melissa? Is it the return of Allison? Is it the, her concern about Jason? Like, what do you think... What do you think is going on for Spencer here? I think that when Spencer doesn't want to answer the phone, I think this is another moment of Spencer when she says, like, I tried to stop being Spencer Hastings, but no one else showed up for the job. Like, I think Spencer is, like, wishing that she could be Melissa, that she and Toby could just take off to London and not offer anybody any explanations about their whereabouts or what they're up to or anything. Like, she she wishes that she could kind of have that life, but, like, as her phone is buzzing with, like, we don't even really know who's calling. Presumably it's, like, all of the liars, one by one, plus Allison, uh, and Spencer is just trying to, like, be unavailable to them. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I kind of like they don't define it completely. Yeah, and also, like, Toby, take a note. Like, she obviously doesn't <laughs> want to answer the phone. Like, you could just, like, you could just, if she did want to answer the phone, he would be snippy because, like, oh, we're in the middle of something, and here's Spencer answering her phone and prioritizing her friends and liar business. Uh, but now yeah. he's snippy because she doesn't answer the phone and just lets it keep ringing. So there's just no winning with old possum hair over there. <laughs> I know. It's like, Toby, your girlfriend wants to keep having sex with you and not answer the phone. Why are you fighting <laughs> Take Take the win. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so at the mausoleum, we see Allison in a black hoodie. Love that. Uh, staring at her name and kind of tracing it with her finger. What a weird experience this would be. Like, it would be so bizarre to like, it, this is actually weirdly an experience that Caleb can relate to of standing <laughs> over your own grave. Um she starts talking to somebody and she turns around and it is Mona. We see that Allison is holding a rose and she says that she had to say goodbye. The girl that they made that for really is gone. She says that she can't be that person anymore. Uh, Allison knows that Mona hated her and wanted her to go to hell. Going there was easy, but coming back was hard. And they understand each other. Allison needs her as a friend. Mona will not be swayed by this possible seduction, saying the truth will bury you in a New York minute. And then I love this. She fully admits to sending the text. She's like, oh, yeah, 
by the way, that was me. And she, she's like, I should have signed my name because I don't have to be pretend to be anyone else anymore. And man, it is so satisfying for somebody to like admit th- sending a threatening text message on this show. Uh, Mona says that she doesn't have to hide, but Allison does. And she'll wish that she stayed dead. Then Mona literally takes Allison's flower, which feels like a metaphor of some sort. And um, I feel like this scene should really just end with them making out. And, you know, it, it, I actually it should end with Mona making some remark about like, like Allison wearing the black hoodie and how that's Allison and Allison being like, well, then you should take it off of me. And then, you know, it goes from there. Well, first of all, I love I, I've called out several times how Allison is like testing out her alliances and her loyalties in this episode. Yeah. And number one, meeting up graveside with a pink rose, watching Allison run her hand over the letters on her own grave, like, that is one of Mona's dream dates, like, for sure. Like, this <laughs> yes. this is, like, a very specifically tailored scenario that is, it's not unappealing to Mona, like, 100% for sure. But, so, so Allison has invited her here on this dream date. She brought a rose. It's like they're on this, like, queer spinoff of a murderous bachelorette show of some kind uh in other words i of course love this for them um but (laughs) i like that allison is wearing the black hoodie because like this was like the black hoodie was like mona's costume and so it's like allison allison is like saying like this is something that we have like deeply in common like that we both have the capacity for this manipulation that we're both hopefully choosing to be better versions of ourselves right now. And also like, and also showing that like Mona took on the mantle of a, because Mona was powerless. And it's like Allison showing like, I, I am the powerless one now. Like you're the one, you know, you're the one that I need in my corner. Uh, and Mona unfortunately is not buying it. Um, I wish Allison had said, I need you as my second wife someday somewhere in Washington state. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll presume that like she says that after the makeout session that definitely like follows this, you know, moment taking the rose situation. Well, yeah. I also love the idea of, I, I love everything you just said. And I love the idea of the hoodie as like the hoodie is anonymity, right? There's always been this idea that, you know, a is just sort of this shape, this like, you know, shapeless figure that does all these things and is almost a persona separate from Mona or Shauna or anybody. It's it's sort of A is their own entity and their own identity. And the idea that like Allison is donning that identity in this moment and Mona is here in her Mona face. Like it's really, it's really fascinating. Oh, I totally agree. Well, yeah, the idea of the hoodie is that like, when you're wearing the hoodie, you could be anyone. And that's like yeah. kind of the mystery of Allison right now. Who is she going to be uh, as she's back to Rosewood and as she's resuming her position? I, I love that. I, I love that she's doing that as kind of a signifier. And also when we've seen Allison in previous scenes, uh, she's been wearing, like you said, that soft pink sweater. She's been looking very femme. She's been looking very like girl next door, like, you know, the young naif who everyone feels like they must, like, draw around to protect from, like, the evil forces of kidnapping that may have, like, befallen her, etc. And here, when she's wearing this hoodie, like, Allison doesn't even look attractive. Like, she she looks like, 
you know, she looks like who she actually was, like a teenager on the run, like someone who is scared and who doesn't know what's going to happen next. Um, and I, I think that that's really fascinating as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it in the same way that like when Mona in in Unmasked, when Mona went from the the soft girly prom or um, dance dress to the A hoodie and it was like every even her stance changed. You know, it's kind of it's similar. It's also really interesting to see somebody in the A hoodie looking vulnerable, not being framed as scary or menacing, but being framed as um, physically and emotionally vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, true. And Allison, like Allison is trying to like, I mean, this is calculated as well. Like this is like trying to show Mona her underbelly uh, to yeah. see if Mona will strike. And Mona's like, you bet I will, bitch. I sent you that text. Like, I'm taking this pink rose from you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Um, also, I love that Mona takes the rose and she, like, sniffs it in front of Allison. Like, it's so... <laughs> like, I feel like Allison going to your own grave to run it. Like, never change. Mona taking this rose away after reading Allison for filth and then like smelling it in front of her like Vander Jesus like the the two of them are just like very nicely matched here well it's also funny that like we've just gotten this revelation about their lost woods lost night where like (laughs) perhaps some uh flowers were being exchanged so to speak (laughs) And so I, I really, I really like that as like a runner through all of this too. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Um, uh, so over at Spencer's house, uh, but sans Spencer, Aria is freaking out some more as Hannah and Emily try to calm her down. Uh, Aria wants to go to the cops immediately. If Mona knows about New York, it's a matter of time. Before she runs out of whistles and starts handing out balloons that say Arya killed Shauna. And I just love this image of Mona, like, after taking the rose from Allison. If she just started handing out balloons, like, that had people's (laughs) secrets written on them. I feel like that would be a Mona dream date also. (laughs) Yep. Um, But, uh, uh, so this is, this is the thing that Arya is really worried about. Emily and Hannah... (laughs) Um, cockeyed optimists think that Mona might not know about Shauna, um, but Arya doesn't care. She wants to know who is messing with her with all this violin music, if A is dead. Uh, and Emily is having like a different conversation. She's not really responding to the things that Arya is actually panicking about. Uh, instead, optimistically believing that they will soon be able to prove Jason and Mrs. D were behind Allie's attempted murder, and then they'll be able to explain everything to the police. Um, while they're discussing it, they still don't have Spencer or Allison at the meeting itself, uh, but Emily is just really, really determined to whistle past the graveyard here uh, in an attempt to get into Allie's bed and you know, again, she is just trying to, like, believe in this future so hard um, that her, like, very belief in it is enough to, like, create the reality for her. Emily does not have the gift of hyper-adrenalized reality, but she is, like, she's trying to, like, spin hard enough that she can maybe get there. Yeah, this scene is a lot of fun. I love 
any group scene where like the liars are all freaking out about different things. I love Hannah using the expression haul ass. Like that feels <laughs> like an expression that she that probably Ashley uses or maybe Grandma Marin. Um, I love the uh, Aria asking who's the fiddler on her roof. Um, <laughs> that also feels like such an Aria expression. And then I love that like Emily's getting more and more spun out, like you said. And Hannah's like, how are we gonna, you know, prove that it was Jason and me? York and Emily just snaps I don't know that's why we're having a meeting and it's a really <laughs> funny line delivery like this is one of those scenes that's like unexpected so oh so Spencer meanwhile is approaching the De Laurentiis house and she's supposed to be like uh, distracting Ken, but like Ken is nowhere in sight here. Uh, she naturally lets herself right in. The front door is open. Uh, she calls out for Allison. And then Jason is sitting there in the dark with his sketchy beanie on telling Spencer that it's late and Allison might be asleep. And then I love this. Spencer just straight up asks him if he was in New York, which to me, this feels a lot like Mona just straight up admitting to sending the text. Like, it's like we could go through the song and dance that we've been through a million times and we could ask big questions and I could imply certain things. But like, Jason, you're my brother. I'm tired. It's been a day. Were you in New York? Like, I just really like that. Um, Jason asks what it is that Spencer thinks he did. Does he think that uh, he was involved in kidnapping Allison? Where did that theory come from? Jason theorizes that Ken is telling that idea to the cops, maybe even right now. Uh, and without Jessica around, there's no one to stop him, which is really heartbreaking because you get the sense that Jason really feels like without his mom, there's nobody to protect him from the wrath and just general awfulness of his father who clearly hates him. Like it's just horrible to him and completely sees him as a screw up. And would Jason has no doubt that his dad would sell him out to the cops even without a reason to. Um, but before they can really fully delve into that, a dog starts barking. <laughs> oh man, this is a great scene. I love how we've been, uh, we've been built up to think of Jason as being very dark and very creepy in this episode. Even in the blocking of this scene, like he's sitting in this chair in the dark and there is something in his hand. Like at first you think it might be a drink, but then he like moves his hand and it's not at one point. It's almost like, is that a gun? Does Jason have a gun right now? Like what's happening? Uh, you don't really get to see what it is, but it's definitely like heavily implied that he is pretty self-destructive here. Uh, but Spencer, despite all of this, just refuses to be afraid of him. Like she's not, she's not playing that game. Like she's not afraid of Jason. Jason is her brother. She just wants to know what exactly is going on. And Jason, after being treated like the dirt on his father's shoe, the whole episode, uh, even though he's really defensive, he actually does respond to being treated like a person. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And I I also oh there was something else I was going to say that I also really liked about that exchange. Um maybe it'll come back to me in a minute. It just it was there and then it left. <laughs> what do you think he had in his hand? Did you have any thoughts about it? Um I I didn't, but I kind of wondered if the show was playing with the idea that um 
Jason might be on the brink of a relapse. Hmm. Um, mostly because of like the way that they treat addiction. That wouldn't surprise me. I remember what the thing is that I was going to say was um, the fact that Jason suggests that he might have been, you know, why would you think that I was involved in kidnapping Allison? Like, I think that that sort of tips off to Spencer and to the audience that Jason actually has no idea what happened to Allison. Like, he's <laughs> just he's just mad libsing it as much as as anybody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. Um, so it's Pepe the dog who is barking <laughs> so loudly that it draws Hannah, Aria, and Emily out of Spencer's house. Um, Aria needs to catch up on the existence of the dog, how Emily knows its name, whose dog it is, and upon Hannah, like, kind of rapidly answering these questions for her, then <laughs> Aria being Aria, with all of the things that is, you know, that are going on, with her own unresolved feelings of guilt about Shauna's death, nonetheless takes a moment to say, when does she have time to get a dog? <laughs> That's so love Aria. that line. <laughs> like just from a time That's management so standpoint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so Aria and that's so Allison too, right? <laughs> oh, uh, and then things are just going from bad to worse um, as they come down off of the Hastings porch. Uh, Pepe is actually alerting everyone to a discovery that he made while digging in the yard. Uh, okay, the yard, a, a main fact about the De Laurentiis Hastings backyard is that it backs onto the woods. Neither yard is fenced. Spencer's yard is like a national park, as we may remember from when Toby was like a teen carpenter doing yard work there. Like, there is no fence. Why is this dog? Well, I guess we know because Jason hates the dog and wants it to run away. <laughs> but like, this is not, they've had this dog for like one day and they are not doing a great job of canine care, I feel. Uh, but anyway, uh, when you let your dog out in your unfenced yard, uh, what is it going to do but dig around and find a body that has recently been buried there? Specifically, it has unearthed Jessica's hand. Uh, Hannah, Aria, and Emily scream. Spencer screams. Jason looks on in abject horror. And I really, I love the expression that just dawns over his face here. The camera really gives him time uh, to take in the fact that his mother like the only human on the planet who has ever seemed to love him is dead. She's dead in the yard. Uh, this is like, I, I like that they let the camera do this work with him because this is like the last moment of Jason as the fail son. Like from here on out, he is all he has. And he definitely like, he seems like he realizes uh, that this is going to be, this is going to be a sea change. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I love that moment too. I love that like we linger with Jason, who is a character that doesn't always get kind of the emotional weight that I think he really deserves. Side note, so we know that Jessica was planning this murder of her sister with Peter. Yes. And presumably I mean maybe that maybe this wasn't part of it, but it it wouldn't be far-fetched to think that they were planning on burying uh, Mary Drake somewhere in their respective yards. Mm -hmm. Why in that case would Jessica have gotten herself a dog? 
I at think, this point in time. Yeah, I think we're supposed to think that she got the dog to, like, protect herself from someone who is after her. But, indeed, that is, uh, that is a great point. Yeah, she's like, I just want to add an element of danger to the fact that I murdered my sister and see if see if the dog will dig her up. Um, <sighs> yeah, and so we go from this into this kind of little uh, wordless montage. There's a, a song playing um, that's repeating the lyric, which I think is really interesting. What if I never get to heaven? Um, we see the police swarming around, packing up yet another dead body from the De Laurentiis yard. Um, asking questions. Kenneth is there. Veronica is there hugging Spencer and internally thinking, yes, I outlived that bitch who slept with my husband. Um, Allison in the black hoodie sort of stands still in the middle of all of this chaos, tears in her eyes as that song plays. And because we're pretending that A no longer exists, this is how the episode ends. And I actually really love this as the ending for the episode. I like that we don't get some quirky little A tag after this because it really allows you to sit in the emotions of the fact that Jessica is dead, that Allison's mother and Jason's mother is is dead. And now um, they are going to have to kind of figure out what comes next. Yeah, because um, like... This is a situation where, like, obviously, Kenneth and Jason's relationship is, like, it, it's beyond strained. It's a, a toxic relationship. Like, Kenneth, right. like, has open contempt for Jason uh, and really wants nothing to do with him. Uh, his relationship with Allison is based on, like, this idea of who she was when she was a little girl that has nothing to do with who Allison actually is now. Allison and Jason's relationship is tenuous at best, but, like, mm-hmm. now... Like, n- now this is, like, their family because they don't really know about Charlotte yet, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, this is, like, without without Jessica, like, who are these three people in relation to one another? Right. And this idea that, like, you know, Allison and her mother, who had such a complicated relationship, like, they can't exist in the same place. Allison returns and Jessica, um, you know, existentially leaves, Right. Well, yeah, and Allison, like, Jessica buried Allison in the yard, and Allison clawed her way out of the grave, and then Jessica was not able to repeat that miracle. Like, Jessica gets buried, and she stays dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's it's for for these characters, and it's, you know, I think it's so tragic that, like, Allison doesn't get that resolution with her mother and Jessica for all that she was like a terrible parent in a lot of ways like I think she really did love her children in a weird sort of way that wasn't always very healthy but I I do think she she loved them and um in a lot of ways was a better parent than Ken um and so it's yeah it's really sad that that they never Allison and, and Jessica never really get to reunite yeah, I definitely I, I, because like death closes even the the unopened door. Like right. Allison is never going to be able to get a satisfying answer from her mom about right. what happened or about what her mom was thinking or about any of the choices that Jessica made that are going to be considered increasingly unfathomable, you know, as as time goes on. Well, and you know, like like Allison said to Emily in the warehouse, you know, if I could do it all again, I would do it so differently. 
And it's like Jessica never gets a chance to have that with Allison. Jessica never gets a chance to do it differently. They never get a second go at their relationship as mother and daughter um, because of because of this thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I feel like um, watching this episode now, it, it feels like, first of all, so we know that Peter and Jessica were conspiring to kill Mary Drake. And then, oops, Jessica just happened to get murdered instead. Um, where is Peter during this, like, wordless montage of everyone being so upset? Like, well, you know, Peter is following, like, the directive of Melissa. Like, just don't be there. Like, don't be in the jurisdiction uh, when this happens. Yeah. Like, regardless of what consequences your actions have wrought, just, like, don't be around. Um, you know, so that's, that's a great choice, Peter, way, you know, way to be there, way to be there for your family, way to be there for Jason, your son, who like, this would be a great time for you to try and step up in some way, but of course you won't. Um, and also just, it's really, uh, it's really an unsatisfying resolution when we find out years later that like Peter and Jessica accidentally murdered Jessica instead of Mary Drake. There are so many things going on at this point in the series where, like, it would be so much more interesting if Kenneth had murdered Jessica, if yes. Kenneth had somehow found out what happened to Allison uh, and, and he had killed her because he was so distraught over his daughter's death, or if he just killed her because, like, he's a dick and they're getting a divorce and, like, partner violence is, like, a main thing that happens in, you know, in the deaths of women who are trying to escape spousal abuse, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I feel like there are a lot of, there are a lot of more interesting directions they could have gone with this. Uh, the whole accidental murder vis-a-vis uh, -vis Mary Drake is, is pretty unsatisfying, especially because as you said, Mary Drake doesn't exist right now. And the yeah. whole thing about having a secret twin is that they would then take over your life, which Mary right. just like opts not to do. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I could do that, but I'm just going to be spooky and have dark hair and not <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you were saying about Ken killing uh, Jessica, it was making me think of that line from Scream. There's always some bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, it 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 is. It's it's tough, and it's tough that like this mystery gets dragged out forever. They it takes them so long to solve it, and then it's a really unsatisfying solution. Um. I also think it's really sad when we think about Charlotte, that Charlotte never gets a second chance with her mother, um, that this, you know, shuts down that as well. And um, I just find the Charlotte Jessica relationship so devastating. Um, and it's it's really knowing what we know now, it makes it that much more upsetting. I completely agree. Well, do we have more that we would like to say about whirly girly? No, no, I, I think that's it. It's really too bad. We know that Jessica shipped Emerson, uh, so I'm sure she she wouldn't have minded staying in the ground another night if it meant that Emily, uh, if it meant that Emily succeeded in getting her sleepover that she had been working so hard for in this episode. Um, do Do you think that Ashley and Jessica ever hooked up? Oh, I would love to think so. I mean, we know that uh, we know that Jessica definitely. Uh, well, Ashley definitely has a thing for people that she works with. So, um, you know, it's just just keeping it out there. I also, oh, I, I meant to say, uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, for example, uh, Jason 
being, you know, Arya and Jason uh, being sort of a proof that Arya and Spencer could maybe be a thing because they're related, uh, or whether Allison was drawn to similar things in Arya that Jason is drawn to uh, in, in his relationship with her. And so we, we often kind of use that as like the relationship with a sibling is like maybe an indicator of some feelings. And in this episode, I felt like, boy, you could almost make a, a pairing of Jason and Mike Montgomery uh, because the two of them are both guys who are, you know, considered disappointments by their fathers who have yeah. to like figure out how to live their lives in the shadow of this man who really has like not a lot of patience for who they are. Uh, Jason found Mike breaking into his garage that one time. I just feel like uh, and, yeah. and, you know, Jason and Aria, could that lead to like a Jason Mike situation? So that's my, that's my free uh, male slash thought for the night. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. I feel like there are parallels in Ella and Jessica's parenting too of like, I mean, very different, but in terms of sort of a, a level of, of, of passive kind of a, a, a passive thing that is ultimately kind of harmful to their children and leads their children to kind of rebel. And yeah, I could see, I could see it. I could see it. Um, well, if you have any thoughts about this episode and the the possible the possible ships that we've come up with, I feel like we've we've gone through a few in this one. Um, you can of course send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast, send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Uh, next week is surfing the aftershocks, which um, th- this that's kind of what this whole half season is about, is the aftershocks. So I'm excited to to get into it um this i had a really fun time with this one this was a yeah more great stuff coming up yeah so until then take care 